Good morning. What a weekend to be at Crossroads. Absolutely fantastic with, it, with the baptism, getting to celebrate with them. Just an absolute blast. My name is Jesse Ryder. I'm the uh, City Center campus pastor here. One of the things I love about Crossroads is our fantastic Crossroads Kids Ministry. They are, are, are wonderful and doing a wonderful job back there. I want you to know, if, if you have kids, they, they are great. They're well taken care of. Also, if you, have, if you have the numbers, if you're in one of the lower, and you have a number, just so you know, if the number comes up on the screen, uh, they would just like you to come check on that child. So if you happen to have that number, uh, and then you can just check on your child just, just to make sure. So one of the things I, I want to do this morning is certainly celebrate these guys getting baptized. What an amazing weekend of that. Yeah, certainly. So much fun. This, this is just an exciting time around here. We have, we have baptism this weekend. Over the next, couple of we, uh, next week, we have Adopt-A-Child gift distribution days are coming up. That's such a, a fantastic time to, to serve the families in our community. And so we, we love being a part of that. Uh, so my, my role is the city center campus pastor. And so that is a little bit different than some of our other campuses because we don't have a traditional weekend service. So what we do is we are in our downtown Mansfield area. We are serving the community there. And what we like to say is that we are meeting physical needs, finding physical ways to be able to start faith-filled conversations. And so kind of our, our big outreach that we have been doing since February is we do free laundry uh, for the community. Uh, we have a team that does the laundry, and then a team that just gets a chance to have those conversations with people as they wait for their laundry to be completed. And I know last week that Pastor Dave mentioned our, our Thanksgiving meal and wanted to thank everyone, but at the same time, I, man, I, I also wanted to say thank you. We had so many amazing team members there just, just willing to do whatever was needed. We also had so, so many desserts. <laughs> So many desserts. So if you brought those, thank you so much for that. We are so just appreciative of your generosity and continued support of the City Center. You know, we, we just, the Thanksgiving meal was a great way for us to be able to, to meet a physical need and be able to provide a meal, but also have some of those faith-filled conversations. But what I really have just been loving lately is, is this is becoming a place where people can serve, use whatever talents they've been given, and, and be able to serve and use those talents. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had someone stop me in the, uh, in the lobby there, and they said, you know, I've got an idea I want to run by you. I said, okay, I'd love to hear it. He said, what if we did free haircuts at the city center? I said, hey, okay, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Like, that, that makes sense. I said, let's take a few days. Let's think about it. Let's pray about it, kind of think through some of those logistical things and see if that might work. So we, we started thinking about it, started praying about it, and there was a, an element of me that, that loved this idea. Because if you're getting your hair cut, you are not going to leave that conversation early. Right? So you have this captive audience that you can have this faith-filled conversation with. And so I, I got excited about it. Like, I, mean, I think this is a great idea. This is a great chance to just kind of serve our community, but also create those conversations. But then I had to confess, you know, I, I don't know a ton. This is not my background. I said, what, what can we do here? And they said, so we, we found a room at the city center that would work. I said, well, let me get, you know, you guys have got your own equipment. Let me get you a few mirrors so you can at least see you know, what you're doing down there. So I, I began, my wife and I went to Ikea. Our goal was to kind of purchase probably two to three mirrors. So we go to Ikea. We're walking around, and it's a huge store if you've never been there. And we find the mirror section, and we're looking at it. And the mirrors were just, I couldn't find exactly what I wanted for the price that I wanted it to be. And so I kind of kept looking. I was a little discouraged. I said, like, all right, well, let's go home and let's, let's look online and, and see if we can find some mirrors online. So I began looking at some of the you know, other retail stores and some of these other things. And the mirrors were a pretty consistent price across the board. 
And so I, I you know, man, it's just, it's more money than I want to spend on a couple of mirrors. You know, it was like $60 a mirror. Like, man, that is like, that, I don't want to spend that on just, it's a mirror, you know? Like, there's got to be something better than that. And so I began to look online for used mirrors. Now, I'd never searched this before. I didn't know if that was even a thing, but I thought it's worth a shot. And let me tell you, if you've never used the internet before, the internet can be a funny thing sometimes. So what started as me searching for used mirrors, I was looking, I was finding you know, some used mirrors, some things that were not even used mirrors. It was all over the place. And then I kind of, I saw this vanity set. I thought, well, that actually makes more sense you know, because you have the mirror sill, but then you have a little bit of, like, desk space. They could put their equipment down, some drawers for storage. That makes, like, more sense than just a mirror. And so then I started looking for used vanity sets. So I'm looking for used vanity sets. I'm looking, I'm looking at these different options. I'm trying to figure out which one makes the most sense. And in my search for that, I stumbled upon someone selling kind of a, a used hair salon station. I said, oh, well, that makes probably the most sense then. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, I don't know a ton about this equipment. I'm not really sure, you know, how to kind of do this. So I just kind of like searched, started finding some used, you know, there's like stuff all over the country. But then I found one that wasn't too far away. And in the picture, I could not even really tell what it was. It just appeared to be a lot of equipment, a lot of hair salon equipment. So I called the guy with the listing. I said, listen, here's what we're trying to do. I see you have all this equipment. You know, tell me about it. He goes, well, you know, it's probably worth a couple thousand dollars, uh, but you're welcome to come take a look, see if it's something you would want. I said, okay, great. And so I, I head over there, and I get there, and it's all the equipment we need, and then some. And so I'm like, look, everything's in good condition. Everything is like, it, it would work for us. And so then it gets to that point where, like, I want it. I, I want what he has, but I don't really know the price. He told me it was valued at a couple thousand dollars. I'm not an expert. I don't really know the value of the equipment. I'm also not a haggler. Right? I do not like kind of trying to get a lower price and offering a lower amount. That's, that's not me. I have friends, they can do that, and they can just knock off like half the cost of a cheeseburger. You know, I don't, I don't, know, I don't do that. And so I, I wouldn't know the price, and if it's a fair price, I have the funds, and I need it, I'll buy it. I'm not into playing games with this whole bartering thing. And so I said, listen, you know, this, this is great. I think all this equipment would work for us. It's, it's more than we need. I said, but how much are you asking for all this? He said, Name a price. I'm like, oh, I don't, is this part of the game? Like, I don't know what we're doing right now. Like, I'm not really sure. And so I'm trying to figure out, and like, I knew kind of what my budget was. I knew he said it was worth a couple thousand dollars. I was like, I was like how about 125 for some of it? $125. Like, that, that's, that's my offer? Like, are we playing a game? I don't really know. He said, deal. Take whatever you want. Right? And so it was one of those moments where here we, are, we, we have now a full hair salon in the basement of the city center. Right? A really, now listen. Yeah, absolutely. And there are things at the beginning of 2019 I would not envision myself saying at the end of 2019. Part of us offering free haircuts is that you have to be a licensed facility. And so I am now the proud licensed owner by the Ohio Cosmetology Board of a hair salon. But, but what I love about that, it was a, it was a chance for us to to be able for people to say, listen, here is my gift, here is my abilities, I want to use this to serve the community. I want to use this to start those faith conversations. And just yesterday, we, we got a chance to do this. One of our ideas was, let's do a free Christmas family photo shoot. And we, so we invited some professional photographers in, and they came in and were wonderful, did a fantastic job. But in the midst of that, of just taking photos of families, we heard some incredible stories. 
and we got to minister in some incredible ways. One family, I, I could tell as they were getting up there, the grandma of the family was just a little teary-eyed. And so I, I just kind of said, you know, hey, what, uh, why is this kind of the demeanor of these photos? She said, well, we just lost all of our family pictures in a house fire. And this is our first picture back together. One family who I, oh, I, we've been working with, we, we know that they are homeless. And they, uh, this was just a distraction for them to come in as a family and just to be able to have some fun together. To not have to worry about all the other stresses and things going on in their life, but just to be able to be together and have fun together. And so what I love about these events, that these are great opportunities where we can take these physical things, but use them to be able to create these, these faith conversations. And so I tell you these stories to be able to really tell you thank you. Because so many of you are invested in so many different ways. From serving, from your generosity, from your donations, from prayer, from all those things, thank you. I, we really do appreciate your generosity. And I also tell you that because we're always looking to expand our team. If you're wanting to join the City Center team or you have an idea, please go to Next Steps. Fill out some information. We would absolutely love to talk to you and kind of see where you best fit there. You know, this week has been kind of an exciting week for football fans, right? Certainly with the, if you're an Ohio State fan, at least. If you're an uh, Ohio State win last night, but then Lucas and Mansfield Senior making it to the state championship game, right? Well, yeah, what an exciting time. And uh, I got to know some of the coaches on some of the football teams and some really fun guys. And you just get to kind of hear them and their interaction and this, their desire for their kids to grow and their players to be just better players, but also better men in the community. And I saw one of the, the post-game kind of speeches one of the coach was giving. He was looking at his players and he said, this is bigger than you. You are leaving a legacy that is bigger than you. And that's where we're at in our series. Right? We are at the end of our series called Legacy, kind of the study of the book of 2 Timothy, this letter from Paul to Timothy. And so we're studying the, this idea about legacy, this idea of leaving something behind that truly matters in someone's life. And if you look at legacy, what you have to understand is that everyone leaves a legacy. Now that can be good or that can be bad. Everyone leaves a legacy. And there's really four different kind of broad categories of legacies you can leave. The first one could be kind of a material legacy. You live behind maybe some possessions or an inheritance or a will or some financial stability. Or the bad is maybe you leave behind some debt or some bills. But everyone leaves a kind of a material legacy. We leave a, a physical legacy. And how you care for your body, maybe your, your diet routine, what you eat, what you don't eat, what you work out, your diet plan, all those sort of things. You leave behind a physical legacy. We also leave behind a, a character legacy kind of your moral foundation, your work ethic, how you decide what's right and wrong. Right? We leave behind this character legacy. But I saw this quote from Billy Graham that I thought really kind of encapsulates where we are with this series. It says, The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. And so we're talking about this faith legacy. Now, ultimately, we do not control the spiritual destination of another, but we certainly can have an impact. And that is what we see in 2 Timothy. In your Bibles, if you would, turn me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, page 996, if you're using one of our Bibles. And we're going to kind of talk about this idea of a faith legacy. So what we're going to be reading this morning is a little bit different than the rest of the letter. It's kind of Paul's final conclusions to Timothy. 
his final thoughts. There's just some kind of notes about things to bring, things to do, some uh, acknowledgments of people that have treated Paul well, and just a little bit of everything. So as we're reading this letter, you can kind of see that Paul's just kind of encapsulating the previous part of the letter. And throughout this letter, Paul has continually reminded Timothy about the importance of who God is and who's Scripture and how to use Scripture and how to serve in ministry. You know, I think back to chapter 1, verse 13, of, of kind of explaining what Scripture is and being devoted to Scripture. Chapter 3, verse 16, is that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And then chapter 2, verse 23, says to not get caught up in those foolish, ignorant controversies that have nothing to do with Scripture. And so we see that, and we see these reminders to Paul, or from Paul to Timothy, about how to have a faith-filled legacy. And as you break down the book of 2 Timothy, you can really break it into four parts. And you can usually use the chapter guide as how you break it down. Chapter 1, it's about the past and gratitude, about how Timothy should be thankful for those who have left a legacy before him. Chapter 2 is more about the present and having compassion on the people around you that maybe don't understand who Christ is. But chapter 3 is more futuristic thinking, but a warning about what happens if you begin to deviate from Scripture and God and become distracted. Chapter 4 is also about the future, but it's not a warning anymore. It becomes this command of how we are to act in regards to the future. And so that's where we're going to pick up in verse 9 of chapter 4. It says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be aware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But in the midst of all these instructions and reminders and different things, there's this kind of power verse where Paul is showing Timothy who God is in Paul's life. In verse 17, it says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And in verses 19 and 20, 21 and 22, he goes on to kind of talk about just some more general notes and everything. But I want to kind of show you what this letter really has been about. Certainly there was an element for Paul as he was writing to Timothy about how to best serve in ministry. Some kind of ministry points and ministry opportunities as he's serving this community that is so caught up in, in these other religions, these other gods, and just kind of picking and choosing what they want to believe, how to best serve them. And alongside of that, how to be a believer that has an enduring faith. Paul continually referenced the, the trials and struggles and difficulties he has been through and is encouraging Timothy to have a faith that will outlast him. But then also... In this final part, we see Paul is letting Timothy know who God is in Paul's life. The characteristics of God that Paul has seen that are evident in Paul's life. And I think there are three key characteristics that he mentions that we can kind of learn from. And also, certainly it's to Timothy, 
but understand in our life as well. The first one that we see is that God stands beside us. God stands by us, right? In really four different categories, we can see this through Paul's information. God stands by us when we feel isolated. In verse 10 of chapter 4, it references a man named Demas. And we don't know a lot about Demas, but we know that Demas was serving with Paul for a period of time. And for whatever the reason was, Demas left Paul's side. We don't know if it was immorality we don't know if it's the fear of persecution or execution. We don't know if it's maybe just the desire to live a different life. But for whatever the reason, Demas left Paul's side. And you can imagine that if that were to happen to you, you have someone you trust, someone you're working beside, someone you're kind of working with, and they leave you, that you have just kind of that, that isolated, that alone feeling. That helpless feeling of, I thought this is what we were, I thought this was the plan. I thought this was the direction we were headed. And you can imagine what that must have felt like for Paul, that isolated feeling. I can remember when I was in high school, shortly after I've gotten my license, I was headed back home from a soccer tournament in Cleveland. It was indoor soccer, but it was a, a kind of a snowstorm on the way home. And one of those snowstorms where it just kind of gets like quickly, progressively worse Right, so we're, I'm driving, it. it's kind of snowing, but then the snow like turns into heavy snow, and then and there's ice, and, and visibility is limited. And so I'm a young, kind of inexperienced driver. I'm driving this snowstorm. I'm on 71 from Cleveland, headed back to my house. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'm kind of panicking a little bit because I'm a little uncomfortable, but also, you know, I want to get home because I'd rather be home than on the highway. And so I'm just trying to carefully drive, but visibility is getting hard. I'm paying close attention to the road, and this semi is on my right side. I had gone around to pass the semi on the left. There's a semi on the right. And so I'm, I'm close to it, and you know, snow is falling off the semi. Snow is falling down. Ice is coming off the semi. And so I'm just kind of like a little bit, a little bit nervous already. And all of a sudden, the semi kind of swerves quickly into my lane. And so being the young driver that I was, I, I quickly overcorrected and just went straight to the left as hard as I could. Well, in the middle of the snowstorm, there is clearly snow banks in the median. So I caught the edge of the median, the snow bank, and it kind of spun my car around in the middle of 71. And so I, I kind of spun, I, I grabbed control, but all of a sudden when I hit the gas, I wasn't going anywhere. I could hear the tires going, but I wasn't going. So I realized I kind of like got stuck in the median with all the snow that was there. So I decided I'm going to get out and kind of look and see how bad is this? Am I going to be able to drive out of this? So I get out of my car, I kind of walk around, I look around and realize I could probably back out on to 71. I think I could just, if I can line the tires up, kind of catch a little bit of traction, I think I could back up onto 71. And so I'm looking at it, I think I kind of established my plan of what I'm going to do, and I go to get back in my car, and I grab the handle, and I open the handle, and the door doesn't open. And I go to, in my pocket to grab my keys, and my keys are not in my pocket because the car is running. And so I have locked my keys inside my running car. I can see my keys. They're doing a good key job, right? They're, the car is running. That's what a key should do at that point. And so I go to reach into my other pocket to grab my cell phone so I could call, call my parents for help. And I realize my cell phone is not in my pocket. My cell phone had fallen out on the seat next to me in the midst of all the, the turning and spinning. I, I dropped it somehow onto the seat next to me. And I can see that on the other seat. 
And so now I'm just left standing outside of my running locked car in the middle of the highway on 71 in the middle of a snowstorm. I don't know if you've had a feeling similar to that where there's, there's nothing really you can do. You just kind of stand there. I remember just this, this helpless feeling of like, I, I don't even know what the appropriate next step is. I'm not even sure what I really need to do. I clearly was not already thinking kind of everything through already, and so now I just feel like I don't know what to do. And just this, this helpless feeling of just standing there like, this is it. This is how I'm going to end my life here on 71 in a snowstorm. Like, this is going to be my life. And I just remember this helpless feeling and just feeling so alone. I, I couldn't contact anyone. I was, certainly was not dressed to like walk through a snowstorm to a gas station or anywhere else. I'm in the middle of a highway. And so I remember just standing there thinking like, I, I don't know. I've never felt more helpless in my life. And then all of a sudden, a, a car pulls up behind me. The guy says, hey, just come get in here and get warm for a second. So I went over. I, I sat in his car and we began to, to talk. He told me that he was a, a Christian, Christian counselor coming back from a counseling conference, and that he was on his way back to his home in Ashland. And so he was able to just provide this sense of kind of calming peace. And we, we talked through physically, step by step, what we need to do to call the police to let them know there's a car kind of stuck in the house. Call a tow truck. Call my parents. And see, I was young enough in my faith where I didn't really understand what it means to kind of cry out to God in a time of need. And so I was just kind of stuck, and I didn't know what to do. And he says, well, listen, can I pray for you? I said, sure. And I remember just this calming peace come about me. As this guy that was there was just, I, I didn't know him. I'd never met him before. He was a stranger, but was just willing to help, willing to pray. And through that, I was able to see that God stands by us, even when we feel isolated. And so one of the most important things I learned that day is that my feelings do not dictate who God is. Right? I may feel isolated. I may feel alone. I may feel like everything is going wrong. But those feelings do not change who God is. God is faithful. God stands beside us even when we feel isolated. When we keep reading this letter, we see that God stands by us when we have been betrayed. In verse 14, Paul references someone known as Alexander the coppersmith. Now, there's a few different thoughts of who this Alexander might be. But there's one that seems to make a lot of sense. I want you to write down some of your notes. We don't have time to go back and read through this story, but there is a story in the book of Acts, chapter 19. There's a story about Paul, who is ministering in Ephesus at the time, which is where Timothy would have been located, so he would have understood this reference and who Alexander was. Paul was in Ephesus, and he was performing miracles, and he was doing all these great works in the name of Christ, and casting out demons, and just and kind of talking to people about how to be saved, and to eliminate the false gods. And you don't need these false gods in your life. There were people who saw Paul, saw what he was doing, and thought, I want to do that. Not the Christianity part, not believing in Christ, but they wanted to be able to have the power and the ability to perform miracles. And so they began to try and do it, try and perform miracles, try and cast out demons. But it ended miserably. And because it ended miserably, more and more people were now drawn to Paul and what he was saying and who this Christ really was. And so Paul's message of get rid of these false gods among you. Don't worship these statues. Get rid of these idols. People were beginning to, to hear that and do that and listen to that. And we in this room can understand and appreciate the message that was given. 
But do you know who does not like the message of get rid of the statues? The people who make the statues. See, Alexander, the Bible calls him a coppersmith, but really it would be working in different metals. And a man named Demetrius were kind of the guys who were responsible for making these statues. And so when Paul shows up and begins doing these things and proclaiming these things and saying, you don't need these statues in your life. Don't buy these statues. These are false gods. They are a waste of time and a waste of money. That's bad for business. All right, so there begins to be this animosity between Alexander and Demetrius and Paul because Paul is speaking against their profession. And so we can see that as you read through that story, there is this, this encounter where it just you can see this animosity, kind of see the buildup of like, hey, you are speaking against what we are trying to do. And so we see that Paul just feeling betrayed as if Alexander was speaking now against him. Alexander was trying to save his business, and Paul is just preaching the gospel. So even when we feel betrayed, God stands by us. That betrayal of another man does not change who God was does not change the faithfulness of God. We also see through this letter that God stands by us when we are opposed. Now, it, it references a trial that Paul has gone through where no one was there. No one was by his side. No one was at his defense. And, and Paul spent a lot of his life in trials and in front of judges and rulers and different people explaining who he was and what he was doing. But there's one specific trial that I think is interesting where it kind of shows us why he's facing that trial, why he's facing that animosity. The ruler of that time was a man named Nero. Nero was very self-centered, very just kind of self-loving, and only really cared about himself to the point where he had a, a large land that he was over with you know, people living there, residents, and he decided, you know, I want it to be bigger, I want it to be better, I'm going to burn this part down, where you're living, I'm going to burn it down so I can build a bigger and better place. Not for you to enjoy, but for me to enjoy. And so he burns 70% of the land. Well, obviously, if you are a resident and your place and your belongings have been burned down, that would upset you. So people began to turn on Nero. And so in some sort of political thing, he then begins to kind of blame Christians for the fire. He said, this is not my responsibility. It is the work of the Christians who are burning your land down. It is their fault. They are the ones to blame. Let's go get them. And begins to persecute Christians, persecute Paul. And he begins to chase after Paul and turns the people against them. I don't know if you've had a, a community that's ever opposed you before, where the entire community is out to get you. But even when that is what you are feeling, God is still faithful. Right? Even when you feel that everyone around you, everyone around you is out to get you, they're against you, they're willing to betray you, God is still faithful. We see that God stands by us even when we are in danger. Paul references a specific type of danger. In fact, he says, to rescue me from the mouth of the lion. And what's interesting is whenever you see the lion in Scripture, it's always good to just kind of think, what is the reference referring to? Lions are referred to about 119 times in, scrimmage, in Scripture. Right? And so there's 119 kind of different references. But sometimes that, that lion reference could be in reference to the power of the lion, or it could be in reference to the strength of the lion, or it could be in reference to kind of the danger of a lion, that life or death moment. 
And as we look at this, that Paul is saying that he has been rescued from the mouth of the lion, it could really be literal, with, with Nero as the ruler, that was a form of punishment where believers were thrown into the lion's den. That is possible. It is possible it could be metaphorical, where Paul would understand Scripture, would have heard stories of the past, and use this as kind of an example of the, the evil he was facing. So whether it was literal or metaphorical, it doesn't really matter to us. What we have to understand is that Paul was facing a life or death moment. A life or death moment in which he saw God rescue him. Right? Even when we are in danger and we feel helpless, we feel isolated, we feel betrayed, we feel opposed, God stands by us. And so we see him telling this to Timothy so that Timothy would understand the characteristics of God. So that Timothy's faith would be strengthened. And that's the second thing we see from, from Paul's letters, that God strengthens us. Paul had faced so much persecution, so much adversity, so much difficulty, so many trials, so many different things. But through all of those things, he understood who God was in the midst of each of those. That his faith was strengthened because of the adversities he was going through. Now, we have kind of misused a phrase somewhat in relation to that. There was a song recently called, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. Now, it's interesting, when you hear kind of the history of that phrase and where that phrase came from, to think that it's made its way into our culture is interesting. That phrase took roots in, in Germany under the philosopher of Friedrich Nietzsche, who wrote it in a book, and it became a popular kind of German mantra. But then it kind of began part of the German youth Nazi camps. This became their training motto. And so that phrase has made its way all the way into our culture, into the songs, into music. But as you think about that phrase, it's not 100% accurate. What would be more accurate is if what doesn't kill you gives you the opportunity to be stronger. Just because you face some sort of difficulty or adversity or trial doesn't automatically make you a stronger person. In fact, in the book of James chapter 1, verse 2, we see that count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, produces endurance, produces perseverance. It is going through trials with the confidence that it is Christ who can give you strength. Right? It is this confidence in Christ that when you go through a trial, you understand who Christ really is. You see Christ's work through the trial. So just by you facing a trial is not going to make you stronger. It is going to help your faith understand this is who Christ really is. That God can strengthen us. In your notes, you're going to notice that there's a fill in the blank that says, Oh God, please give me strength for... I'm going to tell you, there's not an answer that's going to come up on the screen. I'm not going to tell you an answer. I want this to be your prayer. That you will pray to God and ask for strength for something. Maybe it's a specific situation you know. Maybe it's in, in dealing with someone. Or, or some difficult things coming up that you know about. But understand that when you ask Christ for strength, one of the ways that, that strength happens is by increasing it to the maximum capacity. Right? If, if you work out and you want to gain muscle mass, you add more weights, you add more reps. If you're working with steel and you want to make the steel stronger, you heat it hotter than it's ever been before. 
And so if you're going to pray to God for strength, understand that it's going to stretch you. That you are going to be kind of put in situations maybe you've never been put in before to that maximum capacity. But also understand that whatever that situation is, is not as big as God. That God will strengthen you through that. And that your faith will be strengthened through that. The third thing we see about who God is, is that God will rescue us. You know, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, it was a letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus. And he wrote this letter with the idea of kind of instructing about how to use your time. And it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what tends to happen is we take the time, the moments that we've been given to honor and glorify God, and we get distracted. And those distractions can lead to temptations. And those temptations can become addictions. And all of a sudden, that very time that you have been given, you need rescued from your own time, from those distractions, from those temptations, from those addictions. You need rescued from that. And in our culture, we have this kind of statuesque image of Jesus with his kind of arms open wide, smiling with a little child beside him. And certainly that is an accurate portrayal of Jesus. But I think there's another that kind of presents us in a different way. Because sometimes when you need rescuing, it is not this calm scene. When you are so caught up in distractions, so caught up in temptation, so caught up in addictions, and God is having to rescue you from that, it can hurt. It can be painful. It can be gut-wrenching. It can be confusing. I can remember a few days ago, I was upstairs at my house, and my son was in front of me. I was coming out of room, and I saw him reach for the railing to go downstairs. He was going up to reach for the railing. He was going to take a step. He's three years old. And for whatever reason, he missed his grip on the railing. And the momentum of the miss took him forward, and he missed his step and began to fall down the stairs. And so I'm like watching all of this happen. I throw down my stuff, and I just sprint to the stairs and just kind of lunge down the stairs, and I grab the railing, and I'm able to grab his ankle at the same time. And so I pick my son up, and I'm kind of dangling by his ankle because that's the only way I could get him from stop falling. And it wasn't this look of like, oh, wow, you saved me. You're my hero. Thank you for rescuing me. It was this look of confusion and pain. He had hit, hit the first step at his cheek. And just like, why is this happening? What is going on? I just remember seeing this look on his face. And even though I had rescued him, it wasn't just this calm scene. It hurt. It was confusing. It was painful. And sometimes when God has to rescue us, we face those same things. Because you've, you've lived a life that's been full of distractions, full of temptations, full of addictions. So when God pulls you away from it, it's going to hurt. It's going to be confusing. This life that you once known is, is now not you. And so there's confusion. There's that pain attached to it. That God will rescue us. In Ephesians, we see this. God instructing them how to use their time. 
to not be distracted, but to use your time to honor and glorify God. And throughout this letter, we see that this is not just about ministry instructions specific to Timothy. This is about leaving a, a legacy of things that truly matter, a gospel-centered legacy, a faith-filled legacy. And to be honest, a faith-filled legacy should not end. Right? That legacy should continue on and on. See, because God is passing on his legacy of the gospel onto us, he will stand by us, he will strengthen us, and he will rescue us. But he also calls believers to pass on that legacy by standing by one another in difficulty, by strengthening another in weakness, and by rescuing them from their sin. Right? When you have to stand by one another in difficulty, it can be difficult. Right? When you have to grieve with someone or provide Christ-centered counsel to someone who maybe is not sure what that means. You know, one of the things I love about Crossroads is the commitment to community groups. And because I have seen groups come beside someone who has lost their job and cared for them, provided for them, walked beside them during this. I have seen groups grieve the loss of a loved one together, cry together, pray together, encourage each other. That there's that accountability in those groups. And can I tell you, if you're not in a group, you need to be. And not just for you, but so you are able to serve others and leave a legacy within that group. To stand by one another in difficulty. To strengthen another in weakness. Right, to provide that encouragement, to provide that accountability, to provide that restoration, that in that moment of weakness that you are there for them. And finally, we see rescuing them from sin. And if we're honest, this might be the most difficult one because this, this can be painful. This can be overwhelming. This can be heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, time-consuming, but it can be worth it. It can be worth it when you're able to walk beside them and rescue them from that sin. Now, it, it can be difficult because you're, you're with someone who's fighting that fight, battling that battle of distractions or temptations or addictions, and they're fighting that fight, and maybe they have a moment of weakness or a day of weakness or a week of weakness or a year of weakness or a decade of weakness. That can be incredibly painful to watch to see them make that mistake. But at the same time, what would be more difficult is if there was someone you cared about who was looking to be rescued and there was no one there for them, no one there to rescue them. So often at the city center, we find people in that state who are broken, who are looking to be rescued, looking for someone to help them, and they have no one. And so as we close this today, I want to encourage you to think about this legacy that you're leaving. We said earlier that everyone is leaving a legacy. I want you to think, can you identify what your legacy is going to be? And if you can't, that means it probably is not what you want it to be. Think back to that letter that we read from Paul in 2 Timothy. 
there were some names, certainly of people who, who did wrong to Paul, but there were also names of people who were great servants. He talked about Luke being with them. He said, bring Mark. Mark is so useful in ministry. What is that final report going to be for you? What is your lasting legacy going to be? Is it going to be a legacy that's built on you and yourself and glorifying you, or is it a legacy that is built on serving Christ and proclaiming the gospel? Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for the example that you've set before us, for the legacy that you have left, you have lived out. We thank you for examples of people who have continued to follow that legacy. People who have been instrumental in the growth of our lives. Lord, thank you for those examples. Thank you for those legacies. Lord, we, we pray for those times when we get distracted from leaving a Christ-centered legacy. Lord, we are sorry when we make our legacy about ourselves and not about you. Lord, we are sorry for the lives that we live when we dedicate our lives to serving ourselves and not serving you. Lord, give us the courage to stand by someone in difficult times, to grieve with them, to cry with them, to just encourage them. Lord, strengthen our faith as we go through difficult times, as we face adversity, as we face difficulty, strengthen our faith so that it will be a legacy that truly matters at the end. Lord, we pray for those who are distracted right now, who are just tempted away from you. Lord, we pray that you would draw them in Lord, we pray that we would be willing to be used in whatever way we can to help rescue them from that sin so that they might come to know who you are. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Now, as believers, our, our legacy is to be a Christ follower who proclaims the gospel to others. I want you to listen to this song and kind of use this, as, this final moment. To what is your legacy going to be? Are you going to leave a legacy that honors Christ? Let's listen to this together.